Welcome listeners to another episode of Disco Fever, Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 11, Sukal. And once again, the two marks are delivering an irreverent review, providing you lively debate, conversation and social commentary. What is Buck feeding that massive pussy? Are Culber, Burnham and Saru enjoying their fancy dress away mission? Is this episode stuffed with more story threads than a Christmas turkey? Will a pubescence go to go all dark phoenix on the crew? All this and much more will be unpacked in this week's episode. Let me introduce my friend and co-host, Mr. Mark Pollard. Hello. Hey, mate. How are you doing? Not too bad. I liked that introduction. Thank you, yes. This episode was quite full, wasn't it? It was. How, how have you been? I'm good. I particularly like the reference to uh, the, the big pussy when, obviously, they send Buck to the sick bay. There was a specific line which I like to use on a regular basis, which is, you're going to need some love from Dr. Pollard. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Always a winner. I've I've used that many times in my life, um, and it's failed to work on every single occasion. You haven't got enough for a (laughs) hypno. Moving swiftly along. (laughs) So yeah, how are you, mate? We've actually done this delayed, haven't we? I suppose we should timestamp this. This episode that we're covering today came out Christmas Day, but we're actually doing it after Christmas Day. So the festivities as a whole have died down somewhat. How was your Christmas? It was quite actually the the typical lockdown type of Christmas. No different than last year's really, other than the fact that well people couldn't actually come round this year. I've put on a bit of weight, so I rang Weight Watchers and said I've got an emergency. Can you send someone round? And they said, yes, we can. We've got loads of those. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. Getting in today was quite difficult because obviously the road's quite bad this time of year with all the gritters and everything else. But I had this lorry driver who's right up my arse, but it was nice for him to give him a lift. <laughs> Things I'll do for a Yorkie. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, and, happy and, new year. Yeah, I'm gonna say just to clarify that these aren't set up. Somehow he manages to crowbar these in in each and every single episode. Which it makes me laugh, which probably says a lot about my sense of humour, but it's also equally impressive because it sounds like I set him up for these things. He doesn't he finds a way. There is always a way with Mark. I'm glad you have a little bit of a giggle because I mean we don't know whether the episode's gonna be uh, a happy one, do we? No, we're probably gonna find out at some point in I'm the not sure too will. distant future. Um, have we had any comments or anything like that? No, it's Christmas, no one gives a shit. <laughs> In a word, we didn't get that many before the episode. We didn't get many before Christmas, insofar as when they weren't distracted by presents and stuff. It comes as no great surprise that an episode that lands on Christmas Day hasn't had any... Although, that being said, I think I've forgotten to post since Christmas Day. I've been on a a self-imposed ban of everything technology-wise, just because it can be a bit consuming, can't it, in life generally. And uh, I've taken a stand this year when it suits my personal circumstances (laughs) that is. No, fair enough. Should we do a synopsis and get stuck into the episode then? Absolutely, in the, absolutely. In the absence of any comments. Discovery ventures into the Verubin. Ver- <laughs> it's easy for you to say. You better not edit this shit out. <laughs> 
put your teeth chatting. back in. That's two times now. The first time I was on the phone to mum. The second time I was on the phone to a fucking delivery guy. You're just having a good old chit chat to the listeners. Well, st- <laughs> stop answering your door. Discovery ventures to the Verubin Nebula, where Burnham, Saru, and Culber make a shocking reality origin of the Burn. The rest of the crew faces an unexpected threat. Discuss. So, what did you think about this episode, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> I saw it. Did you watch it pre or post Christmas Day? Pre. Okay, so I watched this in Christmas Day evening. There was no way I was going to get to watch it during Christmas Day just because you're doing stuff, aren't you? So yeah. I wait till the evening. And I think due to the copious amounts of e-numbers flowing through my veins <laughs> through eating just the usual Christmas crap that my initial take on this episode was far more positive. When I watched it a second time to make me notes, which was yesterday, and obviously I'd say those e-numbers had worked the way out, but obviously you're still chewing your way through the remnants of Christmas <laughs> food. But there was obviously fewer, and I was feeling less festive. The episode didn't come out as strongly. Drugs work, that's the answer. Maybe you should be eating like loads of uh, Mars bars and sweets when you have an episode, and each one's going to be amazing. I think you have to do that for the entire season three of this show. Mm. I've actually come to decide that I think thus far, with the exception of one or two specific isolated episodes, I think this season's been pretty poor so far almost to the point where if it wasn't Star Trek I probably wouldn't watch it I would tend to agree in fact the only difference I would say is when I and I think you do this to a certain extent is when I commit to a season or, or a show if I don't like it unless it's really really bad I will complete it because I've started yeah but the difference here is that they're releasing episodes each week I wouldn't have the patience to keep watching it each week to watch the things if I couldn't binge it to work my way through it quickly I won't persevere with this I have to say I think mm. it's shoddy I think the writers should be ashamed of themselves. I know stats is on a rather low ebb from this episode, but it's true. I think they've tried to pack too many storylines. They've tried to be too clever. They've had no focus on what the end goal is for this season. And as a result of which, they've just been wandering around like blind mice in a maze. They've got nowhere. They, they don't really focus on anything. Nothing's been given any substance. Nothing's been properly explored. The only two people I feel have come out, well, I'll say four people who have come out five people who have come out six people no the people who've come out well at this are Book and Burnham who I think have been fab Book's pussy because you gotta love a pussy Dr Pollard because it's a namesake and Dr Colbert because actually he's probably been pretty good with the exception of those quite frankly I'm not really asked about anyone else they could have wiped everyone else out and I wouldn't have been bothered well I agree with what you said thus far and I think you're right Book and Burnham have been strong I would say that Stamets and only because of my opinion of them prior to this season I've had better opportunities to show different sides of them the energy's been expelled in the wrong areas where we need to see them I would rather not have another story arc to try and explain away new characters and have them shine in their own light I would go as far as saying we should have seen this in season 2 we're in season 3 now we're not in the early stages of a new show we've now got 3 seasons under our belt and we still only are beginning to see shifts in the way characters are the other one you haven't mentioned is Reno and sorry and the- Reno but to be honest the reason why Reno's not on that list is because I forgot about Reno because quite simply she's not in it enough and therefore that's part and parcel of the problem oh, um, that makes sense I hate to get on the Mark Latham wagon but occasionally you do you've been banging on about the Mandalorian now I said I was going to work through it over Christmas and I have done actually over the course of 48 hours and that's largely just because
as I was told I had to go to bed and get some sleep otherwise I'd probably work my way through all two seasons but I now understand what you mean by that because The Mandalorian is a shining example of how this season should have been insofar as you've got a strong plot A which is the one that runs throughout the course of that season you've got plot B which is the episode to episode story arc and you have a small number of repeating characters who you build up ever so gradually but there's no rush because the secondary characters so it's not essentially you know what colour underwear they wear from day one you can find that out gradually over the course of time but you've got those main characters who you flesh out again gradually over the course of the seasons unlike that this season it's just been let's just give two seconds to each and every story arc it's embarrassing in this episode you have Adira and her pal who comes back from wherever the Chuffinelli's been and reappears and they have a two minute conversation where he says sorry she says I forgive you he's talking about not being able to intermingle with the world even though technically he's a memory and therefore should he really be conscious of that being a thing because you know he's not got a consciousness unless he has got consciousness in which case we're talking about a different storyline which needs a little bit more detail I think and then that's it it's two minutes hi I'm back oh you're back yeah I'm back sorry Uh, well you should be sorry yeah I'm sorry alright cool all's forgiven move on end of scene that's how they've done everything this season and it's annoying you've taken the words out of my mouth mostly because I was about to say that I just felt this was far too heavy with plot threads we've said this I mean we end up spending most of our time repeating ourselves from day one that they've left themselves little to no time to explain all of the story arcs let alone plot A plot A was actually a decent plot they've made this journey far too traumatic by adding in all these new characters for me the plot that they needed to do is what's the burn where's Burnham's mum how do we get home or we we can't get home let's explore this new universe that we're in now well you know my opinion on that they've had this blank to do whatever they wanted to without upsetting fans to engage new fans it's in the future brand new federation brand new technology go and visit wherever you want to go wherever they landed which i think was near the wormhole they could have delved into deep space nine territory it would have been an amazing thing because we haven't seen deep space nine for what 20 years no that was roughly where fuck was saying it was 100 light years or so from the nearest wormhole so I was surmising that's Deep Space Nine territory. But they were probably in the Beta Quadrants or somewhere. I don't think they were in the Alpha Quadrant. So they could have easily done a little bit of mapping around and said, well, where's the nearest planet? Let's see where we are. And found new species. But they didn't. They just went the whole season just seeing people we've already seen before. What they could have done is the plotter could have been what caused the burn and they could have found each piece of the puzzle throughout the course of each episode. And they haven't because they picked up and put down this burn thread like there's no tomorrow. In some episodes, it's not mentioned once in some episodes it's mentioned about 10 seconds out of the entire episode and some episodes it gets given about 5 minutes and whoop de doo it's only these last 3 episodes we've actually bothered our ass to focus back on it naturally as we'll come to in a moment it turns out it's a really big boring pile of shit <laughs> and then the plot B should have been where does the Federation sit in this new universe and that could have been the weekly storyline of right we'll go here and that's that and we'll go here and that's that it just hasn't worked out like that because because what they've tried to do is flesh out book by giving him an episode they've used two episodes up for Giorgio because of course they need to try and plaster over the enormous hole of how they did get her back into the new spin-off series when she's on Discovery whereas it'd be better leaving her in the old timeline rather than coming through with Discovery leaving her back there and then not having to use those two episodes and instead dedicating them to something else but they didn't they've just wasted two episodes of a 
limited season. But anyway, shall we get stuck into some specific nuances of this episode? Because, of course, there was two strands to it. The one is that they basically go on a holodeck adventure, don't they? And then the other, of course, is that Discovery comes under fire. I mean, <laughs> if, if you're fed up of listening to us moan people, now's probably a good time to switch off because all my notes are just grumblings throughout the course of this. I mean, it quite literally starts at the very beginning of this episode. I mean, after we get over the two-minute Adira conversation, once again gets given short, sharp shrift, we have the subject matter which I have titled Shit Saru. <laughs> where Saru has gone from a really promising good captain to quite frankly an incompetent moron overnight and for no particular explanation either because he's held everyone to a standard that he doesn't appear to want to hold himself so when it's his own race he seems to lose all perspective and that doesn't necessarily mean because he's in a really difficult position we find out there is one of his race that's been living on this shit inside of this stormy cloudy thing for about 125 years and they arrive they obviously spore jump there and Saru's exact words are hurry up they've been waiting long enough when discussing ploughing into what his staff describe as a very dangerous cloud of stuff and I'm sitting there thinking I don't know you know if you spent an hour just doing a little bit of investigation maybe send a probe or two in there just to see what's going on learn a little bit about the cloud hey let's push it a little bit let's spend five hours doing that investigation I don't think the person on the ship who doesn't know you're there and who has been there for 125 years is going to mind all that much if you spend a few extra hours just making sure that you're not going to bollocks it up right from the very get go or send the bots these robots they've had more airtime than most of the characters Why not send a pile of bots over? And also, Reno spent time on a planet for a while who managed to do stuff. Wouldn't Reno be the perfect example of saying, who do we know who survived on her own with her own wits and technological knowledge and managed to come out alive? Why don't we get her in the conversation and send some bots in or a probe, as you say, or what they would have done in Voyager, got one of their shuttlecrafts and they would have made it autonomous and sent the shuttlecraft in to send back data relays. When Voyager was trying to get back to the Alpha Quadrant, Paris was at one episode, I think, was ahead of them, them coordinates so they could get through dark matter or something so they didn't end up in another wormhole and he was relaying stuff back okay he's still on the ship but they could have got a robot but that's only because they determined they couldn't use a probe first I mean in next gen they did something similar where they sent two probes into something and both probes got destroyed and I think Riker ended up having to fly pilot a shuttle in to do something but that was only because the probes had failed first not ah shit let's just drive the whole ship in with all the people on it the season specifically is banged on about like two the nth degree the needs of the many malarkey so if the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and there's one person left on a ship for 125 years why aren't we applying that well because the, the needs of the few we could fuck him <laughs> yeah but this is I mean in part this is Saru I mean Saru has just lost all credibility as a character because whilst I understand that he would want to, to help and he would feel more emotionally involved when dealing with someone from his own planet you wouldn't just at the click of a finger just lose all of those years of training all of that knowledge and that perspective that up to this point he's really used very well in being able to go okay I'd really like to do this but we can't do that and actually in this 
instance, we're not saying you can't do that. What we're saying is why don't you just try A, B and C first just to make sure that what you're planning on doing is the right way of coming up with it. I mean, on the basis of this episode, if you just stood everyone in an engineering room for five minutes, they'd probably answer the question because that seems to be how they solve all other scientific quandaries. So just get everyone standing in the engineering room for five minutes, throw a couple of questions out and it'll be answered. We won't even need the probe. But he doesn't. He just goes, right, just drive in. Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? I know the crew's massively smaller than the other crews of ships that we've seen before in Star Trek. They've still got department heads who could have provided him with a solution. I can't believe for a minute that it sits on the shoulders of Stamets, Culver, possibly Dr. Pollard, Saru, Burnham, and any ancillary member of staff that happens to walk past the corridor at the moment in time there's a quandary to be answered. There's 80-odd members of staff who must be department heads and be specialists. Bloody hell, we find out they've got their own veterinary. The first time in canon there's a vet on board a ship. I was going to correct something you said there, because Dr. Pollard won't be able to commit to that, because Dr. Pollard would be too busy giving out some love on the ship. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> She's going to be busy. Well, that's true. But the thing is, you've managed to find yourself a vet on the assumption that people have got pets on board. But no counsellor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got no counsellor. Valid point. Dave's running around helter-skelter trying to do other people's jobs. You haven't got enough medical staff to look after injured and dying members of your crew. But you've got a vet. What? <laughs> It's just me- and then they send Book in and Book does some investigating and gets some coordinates that they can jump in. However, in just driving straight into this cloud, they manage to destroy the shields and it takes three hours in order to fix the shields to go in and rescue an any away team. So what do they do? If it takes three hours to fix your shields, why would you send in a crew who only have four hours worth of protection from radiation? Why don't you wait till your shields are fixed in three hours' time so then you don't you can jump in in two seconds if you need to save their asses, and then that four hours window that they've got isn't effectively a one hour breathing space I mean if anything goes wrong in those three hours of repairs i.e. I don't know someone drops one of the bolts and can't get near it and it takes them an hour to try and pick the bolt up that they've lost or they forget the part they need to replace somebody left it at Starbase whatever and so they'll have to go back and get it that doesn't actually mean that the away team get wiped out because Saru couldn't wait three hours just to make sure that the discovery was tip top and ready to fight its way in because again waiting three hours in the general scheme of 125 years really isn't going to make that much difference is it no I agree I mean I know it's before Captain Kerr but fans of Star Trek will know how Spock died and in the retcon version of the J.J. Abrams how Kirk commas, died by dilithium radiation poisoning now they already know it's radiation and they've been given some wonderful drug that stops them getting it but as you quite rightly say if you can crunch down the numbers that might give you either more time or fix your shield come up with something else did they have tractor beams now oh, they haven't got tractor beams yet have they have they got tractor beams well they should point? have because they're in the future aren't they now good point and they've also retrofitted and then let me just go back to another thing that we're going to be all over the show on this episode i think but anyway let's just bear with who cares no one's listening they're all eating turkey <laughs> Yeah, the Discovery been retrofitted with these floaty nacelles. What's the point of them? We've never really seen, apart from Buckship, seems to be able to change its configuration. What's the purpose of these things, if only... Well, what's the purpose of them? They've not used them, have they, in this season? Maybe, rather than just show us wonderful, sexy, floaty nacelle, is said, well, the reason why they can float is because you might come across a radiation cloud and you might not need them. You could use impulse engines, slowly go into the thing without creating an explosion in your ram scoops, but they haven't. Well, obviously, we 
we book it. I think the idea is that it allows the ship to change shape to suit mm. the circumstances, forgetting the fact that actually, if you remove those two nacelles at the back, it doesn't change the shape of Discovery at all because it's still got the enormous disc at the front <laughs> that takes up the whole size. If it's too wide for the disc, you're fucked whether you've got the nacelles attached or not, really. That's true. They're further in, aren't they? Yeah. It <laughs> makes no difference to the configuration of the ship whatsoever. It just kind of looks funky but as we seem to find in this season it seems to be style over substance far too often there's no payoff to that at all the fact that they've just got a ship that can float they've got these point-to-point transporters now couldn't somebody have sent one in a little box into the nebula used it to open up a communications channel got the pubescent arsehole to chat to them and then they would have gone where's your position Crest transport boom he's on your ship done yeah oh it was just stupid and Saru decides he's going on the away mission which sort of makes sense because we are dealing with another one of his race so I don't disagree with that but we find ourselves in probably the first major situation where Tilly is going to be left in charge of the ship which is immediately where it started to feel inherently wrong when Saru announced her as his new number one we both thought it was a ridiculous suggestion and it never felt right I can't tell you how wrong it felt when it was announced sort of almost became official insofar as she was going to have to sit in the captain's chair from the get-go it was just wrong on every level mm. oh yeah I mean Burnham's talking about rubbing spots I don't <laughs> You know, it's just whatever makes you happy in the chair, I suppose. But an ensign being in charge of loads of people above her, we've covered this before, is just wrong. But, I mean, Tilly was crap in this episode as a captain. Yeah, and I can't believe that that was the pep talk that Burnham gave Tilly as a way to try and instill some confidence that she's going to be any better than she was 30 seconds prior to this pep talk. To be honest, I think Burnham knew she was going to be shit, whatever she said. Just could be asking her with a better story. It was the shittest explanation. Like, if you get a bit nervous, just rub this nub. What? I'm going to rub me clit on the bridge. That's not allowed, is it? I'm sure it's a Starfleet regulation that says don't touch that red button. Um, whatever she said to her, stitching nine saves time. Uh, and and uh, don't, eat, don't eat yellow snow. Um Always look both ways when crossing the road and all those things. Stop, look, listen. That was the one you're after. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Or more timely, hands, face, space. Love it, yes. Or stop following me, you stalker. (laughs) But all of those things could have been equally as valuable because at the end of the day, she hasn't got experience as a captain. She hasn't gone through the, the proper ranks of Starfleet. She's been handed a commission, which would never happen. I mean, I'm just trying to think of any situation in the whole of Star Trek that someone who's an ensign that hasn't qualified through the ranks and being promoted as they should. And the reason people get promoted is because they're bloody good at the job. It just makes a mockery of due process. And she was dreadful. I mean, let's look at her achievements in this episode. Number one, she antagonises Osiris. Like, legitimately antagonises antagonises her in a completely unreasonable way. I mean, from the get-go, she's like, I'm going to have a fight with you. You know, it's that kind of an attitude of come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Whereas we know categorically that even Saru with, sorry, even shit Saru, but certainly the likes of Janeway or Picard or Kirk or even Pike, they would have been stern and strong with Osira because of the situation that they find. They won't want to show weakness.
Yes. But they would ultimately be trying to say, what's going on? What, explain yourself. And then they'd explain themselves and they'd go, well, you can't surely feel that we're going to just roll over and let that happen, at which point Osara would be like, well, we'll blow you up. And they'd go, well, do we both want... You know, you'd sort of talk it through, wouldn't you? Whereas mm. she was just condescending and rude from the get-go was Tilly. And to be honest, I was rooting for Osara by the end of it. Well, I was... I mean, there was always a kind of a, a Cold War-esque standoff, wasn't there, with all of the other captains in situations like this. All of them had this air of the mutual destruction. If you destroy us, you destroy your opportunity to get what you want. And in this situation, Osiris wants the ship because it has the spore drive and it has all the technology that comes with what the Federation have kitted out with these floaty, bloody nacelles. And so Tilly can work that to her advantage. It doesn't take a rocket scientist, but she is also not one of those, to work out that she actually can negotiate or at least lead Osiris down a path to give her partly what she wants. Oh, by your time. Absolutely. We haven't even seen like a security force on the They've got point-to-point transport now. So all they need to do is find out the strategic places on the ship that they could attack to disable her ship. And then while she's chatting, by time... Or, shot gas horror, when she realises that she wants to steal Discovery, perhaps she could put some security measures in herself to ensure that neither the bridge, nor the spore drive room, nor any other essential areas on the ship can just be transported on in 10 seconds. Which is basically what happened. It took Osiris' team a split second to take over the whole ship. And you've got to ask the question of, what was Tilly doing? I mean, maybe she'll say, well, we didn't have any shields, so we couldn't stop it. All right, then we'll spore drive out of there. Oh, we can't spore drive out of there because why can't you? It takes a split second to spore drive out. Oh, well, Stamets was arguing with me. You're the captain. You tell him to fucking do it because he doesn't get any shot because that's the chain of command. And if he doesn't do it, you stick a bloody halo thing on like they did, stand him in there like a zombie and use him like a flipping piece of the ship. You don't give conversation about this. It was just ridiculous. Absolutely couldn't have gone any more wrong. Now, maybe the writers are meant for it to be this catastrophic to show how or to create the story arc of Tilly's not Captain Material. But for me, that isn't a legitimate storyline to pursue because it never any credence in the first place. It felt ridiculous to begin with. And so either the lack of credibility is putting Tilly in that position or the lack of credibility sits with Saru. And I actually now believe, having watched this episode, I actually believe that come the end of the season, Saru will not be the captain of the Discovery. I think he's going to be stripped of the captaincy because it feels like he's going to be held account for Tilly's incompetence for putting her in a position she shouldn't have been in, plus all the really bad decisions that he's currently making at the minute. To add to that, I wonder, we haven't really had any real loss, and I caveat that knowing that we've just said goodbye to Giorgio, but that's not a loss because we know she's going to another show. We haven't had, as you mentioned on several episodes, and you enjoy is the, the Game of Thrones-esque loss of a character that you think is a mainstay. And I wonder whether there's going to be a type of loss which will manifest itself is either Saru decides to stay with his newfound Kelpian friends or gets killed in the process. I don't specifically think it'll be Saru to be killed, but I do think we're going to lose at least one cast member. It's been all very unicorns and rainbows, and it's like, oh, we know we've got this new ship, and blah, 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 blah. We're coming to the family. Been a bit blah and a bit beige. This season's just been about finding people and making relationships with them and being all lovey-dovey and, you know, nice to each other. Isn't the reason why, I mean, 
going back to the Stamets thing, I mean, first and foremost, Stamets was one of those condescending asses who was clapping Tilly when she walked into the room as the new number one going, oh, we'll follow you everywhere, Tilly, except, of course, when it doesn't suit my purpose, which is kind of the point of the statement you're making, which is irrespective of your personal feelings, you will follow her. Mm. Number two, isn't there a reason why the army don't allow for relationships between people within the same platoons or within the same regiments and the like and that's fundamentally because your decision making is influenced by that relationship here we have Colbert and Stamets obviously in a relationship and Stamets disagreeing with a quite reasonable suggestion that this spore drive out of there regroup fix the shit and then jump back in again to try and save the away team Tilly's not saying let's abandon Colbert and co and leave them to die painfully and slowly that's not what she's saying she's saying we need to get out of here because we're going to get our asses kicked let's jump away sort stuff out and jump back in again and Stamets is refusing to comply because he's emotionally the Colbert best interest camp and secondly has no respect for Tilly as the captain which ironically is something he said he did have not more than an episode ago so which is it is it Stamets being an inconsistent selfish ass, or is it Tilly being a bad captain or is it the story writers not remembering the story that they wrote a week ago well that's the point with this character that's the side of Stamets that I don't particularly like you know the arrogant arse and then you have the nice bits where he does come across as being compassionate and all those nice characteristics and then he goes back to his being an arse again yeah but there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with having a character we don't like fundamentally because of his characteristics there's loads of people like that the problem I have here is number one either the writing has forgotten the commitments that Stamets apparently made in the previous episodes about following Tilly to the ends of the earth and back and secondly ignoring the fact that Stamets is a Starfleet officer so should ultimately make decisions that are a bit more relatable to the circumstances he surely is an intelligent person would go right okay we can stay here get decimated lose the ship and then Culbert will die anyway or we can spore drive away it still leaves Culbert in a dangerous situation but at least we'll have an option to be able to jump back and fix the problem whereas the other option is we lose it or you accept that it's a stupid story arc that we've got two people in a relationship who Starfleet have allowed to work together to create a situation like this where when Culbert or Stamets are in a, a position of danger the other partner is going to lose all perspective well actually there's another element to that which is a safeguarding issue a lot of spouses and partners aren't allowed to work together for safeguarding purposes mm. if somebody accuses them of doing something inappropriate in the non-fraternisation rule which you're talking about if you have one of those people in a hostage situation they're going to compromise themselves for the betterment of their partner I'm not saying don't have these relationships on board because they've been in previous Star Trek reincarnations and series but the decisions that are made by those people you never saw Blana Torres and Tom Paris having this major to do every time one of them went on an away mission and the other one didn't yet absolutely when one of them got in a trouble and was in danger did the other one worry and perhaps work tirelessly and not go to bed and, and stress beyond all comprehension to try and get them back safely absolutely they did and that's perfectly understandable but at no point did it compromise their position and their ability to do their job to the extent or in those rare occasions where it did the chain of command kicked in and they removed them from the equation they said right you're not able to perform your duties because you're too close so you're gonna have to go and sit in your room it's not an unreasonable thing to expect to keep that realism in the show and they've ignored it and it just doesn't work Stamets is just blatantly 
ignoring Tilly. Stamets's delay in getting in the spore drive and doing it could arguably be the reason why the ship got taken over at the end because if it had got his ass in there quickly enough and they'd have spore drived off they wouldn't have been able to beam onto the ship and if you think the biggest example of sticking to Starfleet is when Picard became Lacuse as a Borg now Riker didn't sacrifice the entire crew to save Picard he quite rightly said we'll come back there's nothing we can do the ship's been damaged we've lost Dexter eaten out of the hull and we've lost crew members so it's not a particularly good day still managed to command the ship to safety without getting all emotional without getting traumatised by it all cracked on he didn't have a Detmer situation where he froze or was having PTSD in the moment his training kicked in the whole purpose of your training and he acted in the good of the many outweighing the view saved the crew of the Enterprise D and then he went back and did what they needed to do to save Picard with a well thought out plan yeah I think you've hit the nail on the head there the phrase the training kicks in that's the bit that is absent from this show in these sorts of instances Stamets's training should have kicked in and if Stamets isn't trained because some people might say well he was a scientist he isn't there for that purpose then you go well there should have been some mechanism to kick in to solve that problem because we've known Stamets is the only person that can make this spore drive work so what were the failsafes if Stamets was refusing to comply did they have something in place I don't know sedate him and stick him in what was the that they'd done to go right okay if Stamets is compromised what can we do to still use the spore drive in the event of an emergency to remove that element of life and death so that we can regroup and fix the situation and there's nothing so if Stamets is like a big flipping baby standing around throwing his toys out of the pram wasting valuable time whilst you're losing the opportunity to get away and save the crew to as you say replan a rescue mission it just it's rubbish and it was rubbishly written and it made no sense and it merely confirmed all those things that we knew were going to happen and I don't think writers saying well that was kind of the point of the storyline that Tilly gets chosen she's not the right person and it starts to show it's like no because you haven't even done that right and the other thing they've done which tells you that they have had training they all go through Starfleet Academy what do you think that massively stupid scene at the end of one of the episodes where they're around that big fuck off tree what was that about? They've all been to Starfleet Academy. They've all been through the training. The same training that I suspect Kirk will be doing in 10 years' time, or in fact has probably done whilst he's in Starfleet. He will probably have passed them in one of the corridors. The thing that you have seen time and time again is when there's a proper situation that takes place, everybody automatically, the training kicks in. You ask anyone who served in any of the forces, anyone in police, fire brigade, ambulance service, the training kicks in all the time because it has to. Every second counts. It's not a spectator sport. I have no excuses for the reasons why Stamets has been the way he is. To be fair, if he got to a court-martial situation, I'd have to just demote him. Yeah, I would. Absolutely, I would. Shall we move on to the the second part of the plot here, which was yeah. this ridiculous holodeck thing. Now, as a visual spectacle, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, the effects and the scenery and everything was magnificent, although it was clearly stolen from the film Labyrinth slash Harry Potter. But yeah. it looked amazing, but again, it was just done so badly I mean for a start which parent creates a holodeck that traps the people who are there to save her son in the holodeck program I mean where's the logic in trapping the people who are there to rescue your kid well we can't ask them because social services came and took them away it's just it's just, <laughs> what I'll do is we'll create a holodeck program that keeps the child in a blissful ignorance whilst we train them up through a, a suite of programs that will arm them f- ready for the real 
real world. Sounds perfectly reasonable. What we'll also do is that when the people beam on board the ship in order to save said child, we'll trap them in the world with no apparent means to get out of the hollow deck, either to save the child or to leave the child because the child needs to stay there. We'll just keep them trapped in this ridiculous world with no exit. It's like, what a stupid plan. The training he's getting is based on the assumption that what he's being taught is actually correct because that's the problem isn't it if you look at like I was talking to someone the other day about the classic Charlton Heston film Planet of the Apes the twist is they've built their society based on what they found in the remnants of the destruction of the planet and have built their understanding of humans and humanity on the books that they found now that's assuming the books they found a true representation of the facts rather than someone reading a book that they make the fact this this man child has been taught has been <laughs> I just think when you say that I think of a fellow walking around with a nappy on <laughs> well that's the only th- he's been taught this stuff by holodeck people which by the way are severely damaged we're assuming the computer says no it's not just feeding him bits of information that he's adding in the blanks himself and has come to the conclusion that's not the correct conclusion it doesn't make sense it makes no sense anyway he knows that each of these characters are programs because he directly challenges Burnham about the fact that she's a program she quickly realises that the only way to interact with him without freaking him out is that he's a program so he knows these are all holodeck programs so he knows he's on a holodeck he therefore must by default understand that there is a world outside of his holodeck program so when they originally turn up and go hi we're here why does he freak out why does he not go oh my god are you from the outside world and they go yeah and they go um um, um i'm a bit scared because i don't know anyone from the outside world and they'll go well don't worry about it and then they talk it through with him instead like a complete lunatic with no social abilities which can't be right i mean he's a bit socially inept but how can you be socially inept if you've been interacting with holo programs in the same way as they are like real life people because when we were on the enterprise in next gen the holodeck was already much the same you wouldn't have known you were in a holodeck if you didn't know you were in the holodeck if you know what i mean difference with this is he's been born and brought up into a faux environment behaviors learned isn't it so he's learning from whatever's around him and bear in mind holodecks don't exist in this time frame in the future they do but in discovery's original time frame holodecks aren't an actual thing yet they don't actually come into play till i think next gen onwards and then the hollow suites in d space nine but he hasn't got the emotional retinue to understand the implications of what he's been taught because why would he he's had no real world environment for him to action the things he's being taught and as i've said to you before these hollow programs are glitching all over the show it's the equivalent of you trying to click that tick box in the capture box that keeps resetting itself like for the love of god man i am a human (laughs) well i you see I'd take issue with that the holodeck existed in next gen we're miles on from the next gen so the holodeck software should be miles better why would mum create a world that would keep safe but also educate and expose the child to the man child to real life situations and then create it in some ridiculous labyrinth upside downy staircase place with scary castles and lightning why not put the kid in a situation where he's on their home planet and can travel a bit the same way as they did in Next Gen. Do you remember when Dr. Moriarty and they tricked him to yes. put him in that little machine? Little he was in the equivalent of a, an entire universe as a holodeck so he could travel around in that holodeck thinking that he was exploring the universe, completely oblivious to the fact that he wasn't. Why couldn't she have done that to the kid so that the kid could have travelled to different planets to try their social interaction or put into practice the, the things that he was 
was being taught as a kid when he did come into contact with real people he wouldn't have been such a complete and utter freak like he was like someone with ADHD he just was daft it made no sense and what the mum has done to try and protect him also makes no sense the difference with Moriarty was I think he was an actual holodeck program wasn't he yeah but that doesn't make any difference if the kid doesn't know or is happy to be in that world either we accept that the man child knows he's in the holodeck and he's just turned into a bit of a lunatic because he's not had any interaction with anyone other than holo programs or he doesn't know there's an outside world I got the impression it was both I thought that over the past 125 years the hollow technology that was put in place has corrupted due to the radiation from the dilithium he is aware based on the fact that they're glitching that they're not real people but because he's been isolated that much he's suspicious of new people he hasn't got anything to counter that has he so well they've got no way of helping him because they're now locked in his weird world too mm, weird on the basis that Saru has come along to help ease the transition to gently introduce themselves to this child he goes in like a sledgehammer and goes hi kid we're from the outside world would you like to come we're here to rescue you and naturally the kid goes and runs away and you just think dude please warm up to the fact prove to him that you're a goodie or perhaps send one of the people over to pretend to be the outside world and see how he reacts and then maybe send another one of your away team to pretend the part of the program and see whether he reacts better there or better still join the three hours when you're fixing your shields why don't you come up with a plan for that part of the challenge yeah they've not written it well have they no in fact about the only thing that Saru manages to achieve is he starts to cry slightly because an owl fella starts singing him a nursery rhyme and again I just kind of think what is it that you're crying about because it's not that long since he last saw his people no. because it's not that long since they've actually come into this timeline and actually just before the timeline they actually visited his own planet so it's not like he hasn't seen them since he left to go to Starfleet and yet the way that he's treated every interaction in this case it's like he hasn't seen his own people for like eons and it just yeah it just was rubbish that's why it's out of character because he has actually had some closure one of the episodes he goes back to the planet and the bowel the fact that he found that his balls dropping wasn't meaning he had to be killed off that was his closure if anything as someone who found himself to be lost in the universe this actually would be probably one of the best story arcs for closure there was oh I thought you were going to go into when your balls dropped then (laughs) I wonder where that sentence was going oh mine have dropped now they're down by my shoes (laughs) (laughs) just keep dropping like orangutan <laughs> knuckles now they just drag on the floor well, I thought I had one of those small little snappy dogs of the day with my tacticals <laughs> Oh dear. I just don't buy that he's been starved of interaction with his people any more than anyone else on the Discovery. Like, everyone's excited to go back to Earth right at the beginning of this season, but having been back to Earth, people were like, oh god, I need to stay here forever and ever and ever. It was like, no, we're a crew on the uh, Discovery. We've been to Earth. We've now convinced ourselves that all of the people we didn't know were dead, so <laughs> pointless just hanging around here, hoping that we might bump into a family member. Let's move on. And that's 
how it did, and no one lost the shit in the same way that Saru seems to have done. No, it was all fingers and thumbs this episode, and didn't really give you anything of value. It was just rushed. Yeah, and it kind of is made worse, or rather, things are compounded by shit Saru making the decision that as their medications wearing out and they're all going to die of radiation poisoning, Michael should remain, having forced himself onto the away team, having insisted he be the one attends because he's the only one who can deal with his species and I'm doing air quotes there <laughs> so he's the only one who can deal with his people he wants to deal with his people until of course it looks like that he may die as a result of that decision at which point Michael you should stay with the man child uh, whilst I go back to the ship get inoculated from radiation poisoning and I'll figure out how we save you and quite rightly Michael's like uh no you brought yourself along because you thought you could deal with this best if anyone's gonna die it should be you because a you put us in this situation and b you still stand as being the only person who's of the same species as man child and therefore you should remain here trying to work with him i'm off you can stay here dickhead I love solidarity. Yeah, it did. I was absolutely amazing. Went, Michael, I know this is a difficult thing to ask, but you're going to stay here and die. It's like, what? Am what? I? Am I? <laughs> like, am I? Yeah. Think again. This is where Burnham decides she's not actually fully 100% Starfleet and goes back to her roguish ways and goes, uh, bye, and beams off the planet. No, uh, quite rightly, Burnham says, no, I need to be the one that goes back because you're the one who has the better bond with Manchild. And that's why you insisted you come on this away mission in the first place. So you either shouldn't have come on this away mission at all because you're the captain you need to be on the ship, or you come on the away mission for a reason. And that reason hasn't changed, so you stay your ass here whilst I go back and I do the thing that you need to do. You don't get the best of both worlds. And I think this falls into the shit Saru character, because I would have never have foreseen Saru asking someone else to sacrifice themselves when he could sacrifice himself, and actually he was the better candidate to sacrifice himself what he essentially did was pull the I'm too important to die card out of his sock and say uh, Michael, uh, Captain Trump's whatever I demoted you to and therefore you shall die. You should have thought of that before he said to Tilly, do you want to be the captain and have a play with that nub? <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it was just stupid. It is what it is. And now, of course, Saru and, well, it's not just Saru and Colbert are stuck on their dying of radiation poisoning. Adira has somehow logically slash illogically, I strongly suspect on the basis of the strength of the story writing on this episode so far, that Adira already has a master plan that will get them to escape from radiation poisoning in the final episode. And therefore, her unilateral decision to ignore all instructions all orders and just do what she wants which now seems to be the norm on discovery it's like if you've got a better idea you don't tell anyone and discuss it you just do it <laughs> has jumped onto the ship so there's now three people on there ready to die which sounds daft and ridiculous and i hope colba doesn't and to a degree i hope shit saru does die leaving only good saru to come back adira i don't really know adira enough because character's not been given enough time hope she doesn't hope they don't die but of course you know we haven't learned anything enough about the character for there to be any feelings one way or the other, if you know what I mean. And anyone who says differently has obviously more of 
affinity for that character for symbolic reasons than for character plot reasons. And so, yeah, we've left them behind and we can't rescue them because Tilly's lost Discovery. Shit show. Absolute shit show. Although, yeah. there was a good thing that came out of this, which is Osara. Is it Osara? Osara. Osara. Potato, uh, potato. Because up to this point, she's been the badass of the galaxy. And we've seen nothing of her. And the fleeting experience we had of her a few episodes ago left me blood rather cold. I didn't feel anything about her one way or the other. But actually, in this episode, she was quite spunky, if that's the right mm. phrase. I suddenly quite liked her as a character. In fact, I liked the rather dry, humorous approach that she had to the confrontation with Tilly, to the point where I actually wanted her to beat Tilly in this fight, which I'm sure shouldn't be the case. No, well, this is the thing, again, with these wedged-in characters, they've not had the time to shine, so why would you care less? Adir is one of those characters where you brought them in, whether it be for symbolic purposes, as you rightly say, to be pioneering, but then if you're going to do that, do something with it. Don't just throw in these characters when you need to go, phew, we've swerved the bullet on this now, we're massively woke and no one can touch us. Do something with the characters, because all you're doing is squandering it, really. Adira, Grey, tends to just pop up. Buck was a character that we saw that we really loved and then disappeared and came back again. Asira is another one. These are all really good characters that are strong characters. Or could be. If you're going to do this, you need to spend time weaving in plots and story arcs that work in their interest. Let me put this into a a different context. In Avengers, the second to last one, when we're first introduced to Thanos, we meet Thanos right at the beginning of the film. We find out how much of a badass he is right from the get-go and he is as present in that first film as the goodies are because we're quickly building up this understanding of how much of a badass he really is how dangerous he's going to be what his motivations are to the point where when you get to the end of part one of Endgame whatever you want to call it he's actually a really nuanced character you understand him and you don't just look at him and think ah he's the cloak wielding ha 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 panto baddie he's got a proper light and shade to his character Osiris should have been dealt with in the same way we should have been introduced to her right at the beginning of season 3 so that over the course of this season we could have understood what makes up her as a character not that she's just this bad warlord that terrorises the world because that's a very one dimensional character that we've come across before and actually going by this interaction with Tilly I don't think she is that because of the way she talks to Tilly she seems a lot more intelligent she seems slightly well versed in how to talk to people in a way which doesn't make it abundantly clear what she's about to do so she's obviously having this interaction with Tilly but she's not aggressive even though she is in essence saying we're going to commandeer your ship we're going to imprison your crew and we're going to steal your spore drive technology which is what she's saying at no Mm. point does she say it in a threatening way at no point does she do it in a way that suggests that she's a lump hammer and it's a shame that we haven't seen more of this character and learnt more about the nuances of where she's from what has created her how she's risen to power why she's now holding the position that she's holding over the entire of this season instead we've almost been exposed to it over a five second conversation with the world's most incompetent captain I'm meant to understand what's going to happen next yeah so it's just daft uh, it's a shame because I did enjoy the Osara bit I enjoyed Book again I thought Book was great in this I think Burnham was great in this again I'm obviously focusing on the positives here Dr 
Pollard showing some love on the ship. That was a positive. What else? I thought the visuals and the special effects on this were phenomenal. It did feel like that scene when David Bowie's walking around, you know, in the upstairs labyrinth filmy thing. It felt very much like that, but enjoyed that. But once again, a huge number of plot holes that seem to be rather unnecessarily being left. I would agree. You can tell you're pulling at straws when you start using the special effects as a bonus. On the back of the fact the last episode was such a good one with closure of that arc for Giorgio, it would have been nice now to have just properly just focused on the bear, not deal with anything else on the ship at all. Just a singular episode saying, right, there's somebody here on their own. And at that point, they didn't know that that was the person who caused the burn because he had a tantrum. Oh my God. Well, I was just about to say that. What did you think about what appears to be given as the suggestion for why the burn happened? Because a guy couldn't have an extra dessert. Because <laughs> he couldn't stay up and watch his favourite TV show. Fuck off. Somebody forgot to put the toilet seat down. Yeah, oh my word, yeah. <laughs> he didn't put the towel in the right position. The toilet roll was the wrong way round. I told yeah. you to stop playing with me toy soldiers. Boom. <laughs> Flipping heck, mate. Yeah. No. <laughs> just no. <laughs> there's, there's nothing you can say about it. It's just a shit explanation for why the burn happened. Because they got trapped and the kid had a paddy. I'm a little bit frustrated, if I'm honest. Because what episode is this? Episode 11? Yeah. 11 to 13. And we find out a man-child having a tantrum caused a burn that killed millions. Let's not forget the human cost and also interspecies cost of a guy having a bit of a tantrum because he couldn't stay up late. But that explanation goes nowhere. Where do you take that storyline after you figured out that that was the cause? Would it not have been better to have something like the Federation, who even to this day holds itself out as the moral superiors to the rest of the, including the likes of Osara and the the chain syndicate or whatever the chuff they're called? The Federation still hold themselves out as being the sparkly, shiny, right people of all arguments. And wouldn't it have been better for it to have transpired? that the burn was caused by the Federation dicking around with something that it shouldn't have been dicking around with because he didn't fully understand it. It had, albeit might say it had altruistic purposes for doing it. In reality, it was probably something more like we wanted better technology and we wanted to make ourselves stronger and more powerful, etc, etc. And then that would have created a moral dilemma for the existing Federation people because the Federation just seemed to be starting to try and repair their place in this sector and how would it come across if it transpired that actually the reason why everyone's lives have gone to shit is because of the federation in the first point and so they'd be massively set back and so season four could be about how the federation are trying to repair the shitstorm that they created that they've been trying to recover from as well as whereas paddy child had a shit in his nappy and it rubbed and chafed slightly too much and so he destroyed the whole universe with his bad mood kind of leaves you with nowhere to go does it what a nonsense that is I mean when you said this a few episodes ago and very early on in fact you said that you thought it was going to be kind of a save the whales Greenpeace type of environmental storyline which holds weight as we've gone into this season we've introduced the mirror universe there's actually canical precedent in the episode mirror mirror Captain Kerr is trying to negotiate mining rights on a planet of dilithium in the mirror universe with the Halkins to use their crystals because there's a shortage of dilithium it goes back to the very beginning of Star Trek you think 
yourself, well, okay, if that's existing in canon, it makes sense that this planet would also be one where it's overmined, like the Klingons did in the Undiscovered Country, and that because it's overmined, the Federation in this case, in the future, have mined it to extinction level. It's gone supernova and wiped out all of the ships. It makes perfect sense, especially with if you include the Mirror Mirror episode as well, and that you've got Giorgio in it. But you've got an adolescent kid who's found his pubes and he's had a big fucking paddy. <laughs> And if you take that out of the equation, we've now found enough dilithium to keep everybody ticking over forever. So the whole story arc of the baddie syndicate merchant jobby thingy, what's it, are going to self-implode because they've got no dilithium and so they'll lose all their power. That now becomes a thing because they can now keep going because there's enough dilithium where they could fight for that cloud and basically own all the dilithium. It kind of, I don't know, it just, it's crap. It's just another crap storyline that they've ruined ironically because of time they haven't got the time to tell the story properly because now they found this planet which has a wealth of dilithium how many ships has the federation got that could actually defend against an invasion from the orion syndicate or the emerald chain or whatever it's called they wouldn't survive a full-on attack can't contact anyone else in the further sectors of the galaxy so they're only limited to the people who are supplying them now or partners in the federation that they currently have they wouldn't survive a full-on attack they had the better outcome would be to set up a new treaty and share all of the theme to everybody which would have been the wonderful environmental thing or the nice thing to do in a postmodern world and gone hey, look there's enough dilithium to feed everybody let's just go back to the way it used to be with the federation where we don't have wars because everyone's equal but it's basically a kid with his balls dropping <laughs> singing Anna Joan and we thought he was going to start singing the snowman <laughs> Oh dear. Barbara. So, I mean, should we move on to Easter, Easter eggs before? Honestly, I'd be amazed if anyone's still listening to this because we have. I mean, this is. If anyone listens to season two when eventually Matt finishes editing it and releasing it, out. we aren't normally this bad. We don't normally moan about it. We want to be happy. We want to be humorous. It's very difficult to do it where people keep on dropping bollocks left, right, and centre. Actually, talking about season two, we've got about. I thought you were going to say talking about bollocks. Talking about bollocks i've got two of them and one of them's by me knee um we've got about seven episodes of season two to watch yeah we have it might shower you with excitement again where you got, got up in the morning to watch it and go i'm um, bloody love this show bloody um, love anyway, it we have got some easter eggs not loads but some morning morning a couple we've covered. Um, I'll just go through the ones that I saw. Transwarp tunnel, Asira uses, which again, thank you to the Borg, is able to happen. Hang on a sec. Before you move on from that, how on earth was it that Discovery was able to spore drive at the very end and take Osiris' ship with it? Um, probably because they extended their shields, which they've really? done before. They've massive. never spore drived a second ship. No, but they've also never had the answer to a bear being a dickhead kid. <laughs> They're doing a lot of things they've never done oh, before. Oh, no. Oh, no. There's, <laughs> there's, there's no dispute and they're just making stuff up now. But that was another sign... I say scientific in the loosest <laughs> sense of the word because obviously everything's not really scientific. But on the basis of the precedent they've set so far, there was nothing that suggested the spore drive would work on more than one ship. Otherwise, surely the Federation could spore drive Discovery and another ship to a location. They could leave that ship there. So almost Discovery becomes a tax 
taxi service for other starships. They've not thought it through, have they? No, but they don't do that, and they can't do that because they have to send Discovery everywhere because Discovery is the only ship that can spore drive. Except, of course, when Osara wants to uh, spore drive away, at which base her big ass ship can disappear too. Anyway, get on with the Easter eggs before I go on another rant. <laughs> too late. <laughs> Yes, the transwarp tunnel. Thank you to the Borg, as I, as I was saying. We've seen it before. It was first used in the episode on Next Generation called Descent. We've seen it more recently used in Picard with Soji using to guide the La Serena. Voyager it's used all... it, didn't they? Yep. Well, I was going to Voyager. The DNA recombination that we've seen before, the cat grudge had it happen at the beginning of the episode to make sure it didn't die. But then Burnham had, she had the uh, combination done in the Battle of Binary Stars episode. Yeah. San Francisco Fleet Yards is mentioned, which is where the construction of the Senzu happened. Name dropped to various Starfleet Yards that have built ships over the years. Most notably, everyone knows the Utopia Planitia ones where the Enterprise D was constructed. Hasparat. Now, that's a food that was mentioned in this episode, which is the spicy Bajoran food, most notably Deep Space Nine. Well, we didn't mention that, but what did you think about Saru, Colbert and Burnham being changed as species? Because we obviously see Saru as a human here. It took me by surprise because I actually preferred him with the makeup. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, as characters, they were obviously no different. I mean, it was all right. It was a it was a quirky difference to see everybody in a different guise. I mean, Burnham and Colbert weren't that significantly altered where it made much difference. Saru was the biggest change, wasn't he? And yeah. I mean, I suppose it was interesting to see him acted by the actual person without any makeup on, but I didn't really see a huge point to it. In fact, why? Why would the holodeck think it was better to change Saru from being the same species as man-baby, man-child, into a human that he's never well, met before? That brings up my little bit of a gripe with that is, isn't that catfishing? <laughs> it is. <laughs> Maybe what them two Max and thingy-me-what's-it from the show, they're going to appear in the next episode of Discovery going, are you really who you say you are? Let's meet on a cold winter's morning on the pier of Bajor. <laughs> Well, see, my avatar is a 14-year-old a girl. <laughs> so you turn up on the holiday and go, Hello, you're lovely. <laughs> I just thought that was catfishing. The reason why he took me by surprise, and also identity theft. I mean, these rules are just going out the fucking window at this point, aren't they? I think... I There's think no right. social media decorum going on here, no. is there? <laughs> I mean, not being funny. I can't even log into Twitter because I've not used it. Can you imagine the amount of abuse they're going to get for the amount of cat they're doing? Anyway, <laughs> the reason why he was surprising to see in his normal face was because I've seen him play a lot of characters because of his height. He's the equivalent of Andy Serkis. People might not know, played Gollum and Revered. What are they called, is it? Is, um, is it? Well, he's like a CGI guy, isn't he? He's the go-to yeah. person for doing, what's it, real real Motive motion captive, motion, motion captive. captive. Jobby yeah. stuff. Yeah, motion capture stuff, isn't it? Yeah. The guy who plays Saru has played lots of characters. He played the Merman in Shape of Water. He played one of the agents in Hellboy, the two Hellboys, Golden Compass, and the first one, not the reboot, the, the ridiculous reboot. He played the ice cream seller in, I think it was either Priest or Legion. You wouldn't probably recognise him, and he's probably made up that he hasn't sort of sit in a makeup chair for 25 hours. No, it's great, and I'm made up for him, and Saru as a character is a fabulous one which is entirely down to the credits of, of him as an actor save for the last well actually for the majority 
quality of this season where the writers have badly let him down at the defensive actors you can only do what you're given yeah the last couple Tilly mentioned early in the episode about the advice from Grandma Adela this is probably is a bit of an easter egg because in the episode Ensign Row Picard mentions his aunt Adele oh sure hey you're grasping at straws there son I might be but it's fact so <laughs> <laughs> Finally, cloaking device. Yes. US Discovery now has a cloaking device, which is the first one in canon. As we know, the US Defiant was the only one that was allowed to have the cloaking device, and that, at the early stages, had to have a Romulan representative on board. Well, they didn't in the end. They had special dispensation, didn't they, from the Romulans? But, of course, it it makes sense that they can have it now because there is no real federation, is there? If you remember the future episode of All Good Things, the Enterprise in that reality also had a cloaking device so if they've taken that narrative forward it would lend itself to the fact that yes in this future it would have a, uh, a cloaking device so that was it really it never made sense for me that the federation couldn't have cloaking technology but yet the romulans could and the klingons could basically everyone could apart from the federation the treaty of algaron prevented it happening well the it might have done but it was a stupid treaty supposed to ensure peace the reason why the klingons had it and the other ones didn't is because they've swapped technology the romulans were allowed to have their ship designs in exchange for cloaking. I'm not too sure of which way round it was, whether the Romulans got the ship designs from the Klingons and they gave them the cloaking technology. That was their earlier agreement. The Treaty of Algaron was based on either not entering the neutral zone and not looking into cloaking technology, and that way they wouldn't get invaded. Mm. It might be a bit daft, but let's be honest, if you're dabbling with it, shit happens. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like the catchphrase from a T-shirt does that. So what would you give this episode out of 10 i'm gonna give this a six okay better than i thought you were gonna give it by the skin of its teeth last week's episode was a good one i felt that wrapped it all up the way it should and devoted the time to it without having to be distracted by other things this one jumped around a lot it was confused with different threads the massive thing for me was this realization that the burn was just a knob of a child um which you know let's be honest we could have done a one episode season we could have had the discovery end up in this future and they go is that dickhead kid click done that's the end of season three boys and girls what about you I'm going to give it a five if you'd have asked me on Christmas day I'd have probably given it a seven a twelve <laughs> as all that sugar coursed through my veins but with the cold light of day it wasn't an unentertaining episode there was lots going on but the inconsistencies in the story and the poor writing of of the characters I just think can't be ignored at this point having now watched The Mandalorian and seen how it can be done properly without trying to create an Inception style story arc the beauty of The Mandalorian is it's really simple are the story threads and season 3 could have been equally simple while still very carefully but very gradually building upon the characters that we're already familiar with and it's just dropped the ball and now we're in episode what we're on 10 now and it's just dropped yeah it's just dropped the ball too many times for me and now needs to be held accountable and so it's getting a five and it's a grumpy five at that as a reasonable score thing why i was banging on about the mandalorian is they have a sandbox people merely pass through discovery season three they're in the future you've got a bigger sandbox to play in they could have just created a whole new story arc across 13 episodes which created new characters new planets new traumas new new enemies why just have the same old villains we've had for countless eons could have had a brand new big bad every series of star trek brought in 
a big bad. We always knew we had the Ferengi. We, well, we didn't actually until Deep Space Nine, but we always knew we had the Klingons and the Romulans and the Tellarites. We didn't know we had the Borg. We didn't know we had Species 84321, Bingo, the Jem'Hadar, the Dominion, and the Founders. These are all wonderful characters brought in and woven into the canon. Yeah. I mean, to give you an example, you've got in The Mandalorian, you've got Carl Weathers' character, who is kind of in charge of distributing jobs to the bounty hunters. Now, he's a, I would say, a regular character, as in he's probably in every one in every three episodes and it's usually only for a short period as well you get a feel for him as a character insofar as the interactions you get but we know absolutely nothing about the guy he's a wafer thing character at best because we don't know anything about him but i still enjoy seeing him and i still enjoy the interactions with him now to put that in this discovery context the crew on the bridge who we've not had any conversations with thus far we could have been doing similar things with those characters and just leave them in that sort of stasis of we know they're there they'll say the odd witty line but we don't really care about them in terms of learning more we're not really bothered let's focus all our attentions on the main characters but we haven't we've sort of tried to do the best of both we try to give them more airtime, like Deepma I mean we haven't padded Deepma out at all but we've given her PTSD so we've given her a massively complex very serious condition we We've added no context to why she might have suddenly developed it then, what her background is, what her skill sets are, what her interests are that might have led her to have reached that or why it might have made it so surprising that someone like her would have developed those symptoms. And now she's fully cured. Like we've had two episodes where she's had it and now she doesn't have it. And it's that. It's like either give her PTSD and do that storyline justice or don't do it. Leave her alone and just let her be the pilot at the front of the ship flying the ship. That situation would have lent itself to an opportunity for Tilly to show her metal, where Detmer freezes because of the PTSD, and Tilly gets her off navigation, jumps on, and stops Discovery from getting damaged or whatever. And at the end of this season, she gets a new commission, she becomes Lieutenant. She'd be Lieutenant, wouldn't she? If you're American, you would be Lieutenant, but we're English, and we created the rank, so it'll be Lieutenant. (laughs) (laughs) That's just another story that we've created, because we should get a job writing for the show. (laughs) At least you should, because I'm not being funny. I thought your suggestion of pollution and environmental awareness was blob on. Yeah, sadly not. That brings us to the end of this episode, guys. Hope you've enjoyed it. Maybe you found it enlightening. Maybe you're just shouting and screaming. Maybe you dived off well before I'm reading this, in which case I'm talking to no one. Either way, get in touch. Let us know. We're on social media, so if you go to Picard Talk, which is our sister show, where we talk all things Star Trek Picard, you will find posts that we do. You can throw your comments comments on there you can tell us we're right you can tell us we're wrong you can tell us what you think about the show you can email us picardtalk at the podstation.co.uk that's another good way of getting in touch if you fancy supporting the show then if you go on to patreon it's patreon.com forward slash the podstation you can chuck in a few quid and it will go a long way to helping us keeping these shows going who knows maybe you don't want that to be the case we wouldn't blame you if so that brings us to an end of this episode next episode we'll be covering the penultimate episode of the season which god I suppose can only get better hopefully absolutely thank you for tuning in yeah absolutely thanks for listening guys and we'll catch you next time away team out out